He scopes out the present, shakes out the past, and keeps an eye out on the future. This is the Racing with Bruno podcast. Now, from Lexington, Kentucky, here's Bruno DiGiulio. And I've been waiting for this day since Saturday. Since they ran the Preakness, I was really looking forward to be able to put this podcast together. And I've got Ron Flatter on board. Hey, Ron, how are you? we got lots of things to talk about today. But before I get to Ron Flatter, let's get to Norm Cassie, one of my favorite trainers and a good friend of mine. Norm, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on, guys. Nice meeting everybody. Um, I really wanted to have you on because I wanted to, to, to talk a little bit about not only your, your accomplishments so far in a short time for yourself as a, a young trainer, but you've done very well with two-year-olds. And this is two-year-old season. And I thought we could pick your brain a little bit. I know you've been working the sales. you got a lot of young horses. Uh, how many two-year-olds do you have, uh, plus one that we got today? And, mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and tell us a little bit about what you do to, to get them ready. I would say I probably have about 15 two-year-olds right now. All of them, basically, I'd say 80% of them came from two-year-old sales. And, you know, I don't try to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. Uh, I get them in from the two-year-old sales, and I kind of let the two-year-olds or the horses themselves dictate what I do. As long as, they, as, long as they're progressing weekly and they're, and they're breezing well and they're happy and they're healthy, we continue on with them. And if if one of them has a minor setback or doesn't seem to be acclimating to the new um, regimen, then we'll kick them out for a little bit. But I don't know. I just feel like Bruno truthfully, just my experience working with dad and having all the two year olds that come in, came into me. I I kind of really have a big gauge of, um, you know, the talent level of horses and, you know, that's probably 95% of winning races is figuring out exactly where a horse fits when you do run them. When you, when you go, when you get your two-year-olds in um, and you get a chance to look at them for a couple of days, do you, can you pick out the good ones or do you let them sort themselves out on the track? The things that I've kind of learned, um, they can be the most beautiful, correct horse in the world and not be able to run and vice versa. You could have a horse come in that's crooked and that you don't think you want any piece of, and then they turn out to be very good. Um, I'll also say this, I don't really, I've never been a person who really gets hung up on a horse the way that they gallop. Um, some of the best horses I was ever around like Teppin were never really that impressive of a gallop. Um, I kind of weigh most of my, you know, where I find, um, you know, their ability is when we actually set them down and breeze them. So, uh, I, uh, I don't like to, um, get too high or too high or too low on a horse until we actually let them work. Um, how many horses overall do you have now? 30, 35, 36. Um, and you're, you have some at Keeneland. You put your young babies at Keeneland, which is a great place. This is so quiet. Um, a question from Charles. Um, how, how much do it, is it a, a decision of yours uh, when and it comes down and how fast they work in the, uh, uh, in, in the breeze? I just, you know, Charles, I just kind of think, um, you know, it's just, it's like training any other athlete. Um, there's the progression. I'm not going to go and work a, a brand new baby that we're just kind of trying to figure out and gauge where their fitness level is and where they're comfortable at. I'm not going to go and send one out there 
to set a track record. Um, we like to do things in a controlled way and, and match our horses up that are basically at the same, you know, fitness level as their work made or whatever, however you want to say it. I, um, I think, I mean, it's, it's, it seems pretty common sense, but we kind of just let the horses dictate what goes on. And, the, and as the weeks progress, hopefully the horses are as well. And then we start pressing them a little more. And you start seeing, you know, like, for example, uh, the other day you debuted uh, uh, on the ones and the twos and, and the next day just call Ray and they both have been working together. Take us through a little bit what your thought process on those two were. Just thought that they were both very forward. They were two, so they're two different stories. One was a yearling um, that was purchased in the September sale for pretty cheap, and that was on the ones and twos. And Just Call Ray was an OBS March sale that was actually a buyback that we we found and um, we got him privately. They both came up to my barn on the same van, one from Waver Tree and one from the sale, obviously. And uh, they've been workmates ever since. Um, just kind of like reiterating what I would say in earlier, they, they never had a bad day since they got off the van every week, their works were better than the last. And, um, they, there was never any setbacks at the gate or any type of setbacks whatsoever. And so basically they earned the right to run already. And, uh, truthfully, I'm very happy with the way that on the ones and twos ran, obviously she won, but I thought just call Ray ran really well as well. And what's interesting is I watching your horses train and watching all these uh, babies from the, the gates. It's interesting how sometimes you put a horse on. Let's say you put uh, the ones and the twos on the inside and just call me just call Ray on the outside and just call Ray would win. And then the next time you put one on, on the ones and twos on the outside and just call Ray on the inside and on the ones and the twos wins. Uh, you can't get too high or too low sometimes on those kind of works. No, you can't. And that's why I do it. I like to put the horses and, you know, there's only so much you can do in the mornings, but I'd like to know as much as I can about my horses before they run over there or we send them over to run. Um, I don't like getting overly excited about a two-year-old that's winning all of their works being outside of their workmates. Um, I find that a lot of young horses, especially get very, very intimidated down on the rail. So I would at least like to do one or two works where I can see that they, you know, they're not intimidated by other horses. Now on the ones and twos, it was interesting was down on the outside in this, in his win, uh, in the win on uh, last week, like, uh, yeah, last week. And just call Ray. Um, did you find himself down in, on the inside in that race on Sunday? I, I, yeah. And you know what, Bruno, to be completely honest, we hemmed and hauled all week, whether or not to scratch him. And of course we didn't because on the ones and twos one, it was like, all right, I guess we got to let just call Ray run. But because of the, the rail post position, just a lot of bad stuff can happen to a two-year-old that when you're breaking from the rail like that, unless you break ultra sharp. And of course, everything that could possibly happen, happened. He broke slowly. The, the two horse nailed him coming out of there. And then he, he never really had a chance to run until basically inside the 16th pole. But with all being, with all that being said, I thought he ran really well. So I'm happy that he got the experience. And, and, and that's a, a short run to the turn too. So it, it's just unbelievably uh, uh, important to get out of the gate and get positioned because if you don't, you're going to get squeezed into the rail and you're done anyway. So um, that's a tough predicament to be in. You know, not all of us can be like Wesley Ward and open up five out of the gate. Um, but uh, 
well, let, talk a little bit. Um, how's your experience been going from working with your dad? And you basically were running the barn for your dad yourself to being on your own. Uh, you know, I, I really don't find it to be much different, especially at the barn, because, you know, like you said, I, I was basically making all the decisions about my horses when I was working under dad. So like as far as the horse management goes and, and the day to day operation of the barn, that, that certainly has not changed. Uh, the only thing that has really changed in my life is 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 dealing with the clients and, um, you know, hustling up my own horses. Um, people aren't going to just call and send you horses, at least not when you first go out on your own, you got to go out and approach people and really get out of your comfort zone and, um, and make an effort to try to, to get new horses and get new clients. And, you know, hopefully I'm thinking, you know, now that we're doing really well, I really feel like there's going to be a snowball effect here shortly where, um, we start to make some real noise, but not honestly, Bruno, not, not much has changed other than the client relations and the financial stuff. Um, otherwise day-to-day -day stuff has just been basically the same. I have to ask, how's the boss handle everything? Uh, the, you know, I mean, Gabby, sorry, not the boss. Yeah, she's, she's, uh, you know, she's, She's my biggest fan and my biggest critic. We'll just put it that way. It's sometimes it's uh, when I make some bad decisions, it's not easy to come home. <laughs> well, that's, I know that, you know what? That, that's great to have. So at least she's straight out honest. Hey, uh, I need, I, I want to share this with everybody that uh, today, uh, Norm, myself, and a few guys, um, uh, we, uh, we were able to buy uh, a new addition to Norm's barn. Her name is going to probably be uh, something. We're going to name her uh, something concerning royalty, uh, Italian royalty. They were in the news recently. This is a California chrome filly that went uh, that that we bought today and uh, we'll be heading. She'll be in the barn of uh, Norm Cassie tomorrow. And Norm, uh, on behalf of everybody, we wish you the best of luck and let's have some fun with her. I appreciate it, Bruno. I appreciate all the support you've given me throughout the years. And I know eventually we're going to we're going to have some runners. So uh, we'll just keep plucking away. I appreciate it. You got one of your um, clients, one of your guys right there, Brian Pagano. I think Peter Martin is on here. I think we've got a couple of other guys. But uh, um, hey, listen, it's easy to root for you, Norm. You're a good guy. You have fun. Uh, you know, you love wrestling. How many here loves wrestling? <laughs> How many here loves wrestling? Okay, Norm, tell them your favorite wrestler. Brett the Hitman Hart. There we go. John Michaels, too. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, you know, it's uh, with Norm, you know, you can always look at it and say, if we don't like something that's going on, Norm and I will do a tag team and come off the top ropes. <laughs> hey, Norm, thank I know you got Gabby home tonight and you want to have some time with your family. Thank you so much for taking time and talking to everybody. And um, and do you have any um, do you have any shares in any two year olds that you like to talk to people or if somebody wanted to get on board with your with your stable and, and maybe get a horse with you claiming or two year olds? How can they get a hold of you? Um, actually, I have a I have a clip. I would like to say that I, I bought a clip colt out of the, the April sale it was hip. 1028 we bought him really cheap and we bought him in the back ring because 
I have a Klimt two-year-old that's getting ready to run. I don't know if you've seen him work or not, Bruno. His name is Buckingham Prince. I'm going to enter him wins. He, I, yeah, I can't. I'm going to bet him first time out. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think I think he's legit. I, I, I really do. And I mean, so he's the only other clip that I have. So we really liked him. The, this is a this one's out of a Holland, Harlan's holiday mare. So I think he's going to be able to be a runner. We have shares open for him. Just just if you guys are interested, Bruno, just give everybody my phone number. It's no big deal. And okay. Kevin Stone Cold Steve Austin is my third favorite uh, wrestler <laughs> of all time. Hey, Norm, send me the info, you know, even if you text it to me, I'll, I'll talk to you and I'll send it out to everybody. So at least they're not, if, not, if they're not in, you know, interested in owning a horse, you know, maybe they can uh, follow along and follow you. And maybe one day, maybe we'll all get something together here. So, uh, yeah. And, and I've got to do this. I've got to do this before you go. Woo! I'm not doing it because Gabby's upstairs. I want to, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I, I hear the neighbors turning around. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. I want to, but I'm not going to. Oh, come on. Come on, please. No, Does no, anybody no. want Norm to do it? No, I'm not going to do it. Oh. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> hey, have a good night, Norm. All right, you too. Thank you. Thank you to Norm Cassie for coming on board. Um, you know, he's a great he's, – he's, I really like him a lot as a person, and um, – uh, he's uh, he's a lot of fun, and and I, I tell you, it was killing him to him not to be able to do the Ric Flair woohoo, you know. So uh, I think I, the, the dogs turned around. I think they even the pine trees over there turned around when I when I did that, you know. So, but um, so anyway, um, Ron Flatter, thank you for uh, being here. You're freshly from Baltimore, and your new studio. Actually, this isn't even the studio. This is the bedroom. The studio has a million boxes in it, so we're, we still haven't even opened the studio yet. But yeah. we've opened the Rombauer Vineyards Zinfandel, so uh, that, this is pricey well, stuff. Why. The You're way. the second person that uh, gets Brady from Bruno that's showing me the Rombauer uh, Zinfandel. Phil Stillman also did this. Yeah, I, I, the Chardonnay you can't find, at least here, at least at the liquor barn where I went. Mm, man, that's tasty. Let's start uh, off with the news and notes. What do you Yeah, have? well, yeah, gee, is there any news today? Yes, and how. Bob Baffert and his horses and his employees are barred from New York Racing Association tracks. Naira saying that because Medina Spirit tested for the banned substance betamethasone, Naira not banned, just banned as far as evidence on race day. Baffert suspended indefinitely. Jimmy Barnes could not represent horses. No employee of Baffert allowed on the grounds at Naira Tracks, nor their horses, which means if there was any thought given to sending Medina's Spirit concert tour or another three-year-old from the Baffert barn, I don't know, Spielberg, whoever, not going to happen. So uh, Baffert will not be having any presence at the Belmont Stakes. Interestingly enough, Dave Grenning and I were talking to Jimmy yesterday back in Baltimore. And uh, he was being very noncommittal about anything other than what shape the horses were in, said they came out fine. Okay. And then he said, see you in New York. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, apparently he won't. So that's the news there. And the conclusion of this will be the conclusion in Kentucky. So if the test sample comes back, the second split sample comes back as positive for betamethasone and Medina Spirit is then disqualified from his win in the Kentucky Derby. 
the New York Racing Association might put some further time element in terms of how long the Baffert suspension will last. If you saw NBC on Saturday, you heard it mentioned that the test sample that is going to be done as far as the split sample in Kentucky could take two to four more weeks or more, and maybe even six months. I do find it interesting, Bruno, that the New York Racing Association chose today and not, say, three weeks from today to ban Baffert because Medina Spirit lost in the Preakness. Does the cynic in me suggest that maybe if there were still a triple crown dangling by a thread that they would have used that to try to sell a couple more tickets at the Belmont Stakes? Yeah, guilty. So that's out there. The other big story coming down today, the Linda Rice case has reached a conclusion insofar as the New York State Gaming Commission is concerned, not to be confused with Naira. This is the case where uh, Linda was accused of effectively bribing the racing office to get information ahead of other trainers that was deemed favorable to her past performances of nominated horses before everybody else had a chance to see them so that theoretically she could see what was going on. She insisted all along that these were gifts that she had been giving in kind to people who had been recipients of these gifts for some years. Uh, Do I have the name right? Jose Morales, Bruno, the former jockey agent who's had previous trouble with the New York state gaming commission. Wasn't that, uh, wasn't he in trouble for accessing the encompass? And I think he was allowing her to do the same and they could go into the veterinarian's records and pull up the veterinarian's records for all the horses. If right. You blame. So that was the issue. There was a hearing almost a year ago. I want to say more than more than six months ago, but there was a, a hearing that went on for a few days taken under advisement ruling coming down today. She was fined $50,000 and her license has been suspended for three years. So Linda Rice now will not be able to train in the state of New York, and you would think reciprocating that would be the other states around the country. Believe this to be the longest suspension for a trainer since Rick Dutrow got the 10 years that he received 10 years ago. That was appealed and kicked down the road for two more years, so he really actually has well, he got more years to He got to, uh, life, basically. How old is he? No, it doesn't matter. He got life because he'll okay. never allow him to train. All right. So, so that be that as it may. Now, I don't know what the appeal process is for her. I would think that that will be put into effect, and we'll find out here in the coming days. But those two rather large items coming out as far as off-the-track stuff. On the track, looks like it could line up to be a pretty decent Belmont Stakes. Ron Bauer did arrive at Belmont Park today. They were vanning him up uh, from... Baltimore. And so that went well. And um, Mike McCarthy flew back to California. He'll fly back to New York uh, in a couple of weeks. So well, let me ask you, Ron, else. where's Baffert going? Good he can't question. be at Churchill. Can't be. I mean, he's Medina Spirits here. They're he's here. Under, he's under California house arrest. I don't know that he is there. I don't think I haven't heard well, that he, of you. Can he, he can't, I haven't seen his horses on the track at Churchill. No, but they were. They just came back. They just came back from Baltimore. Are they here in Churchill? Yeah, that was that was well. That's where Jimmy was taking them. So I I didn't go over there today. I took the day off. Well, there's another part of it that another thing that's going on that I kind of want to talk about. Wanted to talk about, and um, a gentleman I've known for a long time. He's been a client of racing with Bruno for a long time. Let me bring in Daniel Markoff. Daniel, uh, great to have you on. 
Um, hey, Bruno. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now with this whole mess of uh, Medina Spirit and and the Kentucky Derby and the positive. Thanks, and uh, thanks for having me. Hello, gentlemen. So uh, let me preface it real quick by, as Bruno said, I'm a longtime client, and that's important because I'm a fan first. I've been a fan for 30 years, uh, and uh, I'm a what I would call a serious recreational handicapper in that I play the big days. I play weekends when I can. I don't have time during the week much. Uh, my background is that I'm a pharmaceutical class action lawyer. Uh, we don't call them class actions. We call them what are called MDLs. That's been my background. And for some time, like I bet everyone on the Zoom, I've been pretty angry and upset at the drugs in racing. And I just didn't feel fair. So on Derby Day, I wagered, uh, well, I wagered $8,000 on a Superfecta. And uh, part of it was, most of it was my money. Had a little money from a couple of friends and I had mandolin on top and I had the, the rest of it filled out perfectly. Uh, I did not put Medina spirit in the first two spots because I didn't think the horse was going to hold. So uh, when the results finalized, I looked at a friend next to me and I said, that's BS. I just don't buy it. And we were, threw up our hands and said, whatever. And I said, I just, I just don't buy that, that race. And then of course, fast forward a week later, and we get the news and I was just, I just, you know, this is, this is the, this was the final straw, basically. I just couldn't believe it. And I'm in a rare position in that I'm a, you know, I consider myself fairly knowledgeable about horse racing and gambling and wagering. And I'm also obviously have the legal side of it down. And I started uh, thinking, you know, is there a case here? And there is a guy that I've known for a long time who really focuses and, He's one of the best consumer class action lawyers in the country. And I called him on Sunday after Bafford's uh, press conference. And I said, look, he's not a horse racing guy, really. And I said, here's what happened. And uh, I think we might have a case here. So we spent the next 48 hours, three, about three days, just investigating, looking at statutes in California, around the country, uh, talking to different people. And I hooked up with Michael Bachock, who I suspect that some of you know. Bruno, I think you know him, right? I know him very well, yes. Right. And I've heard of Michael. I don't know him, but uh, I, we had mutual friends. And Michael, as you know, was pretty upset about what happened. And I asked Michael if he'd be willing to be the lead plaintiff. And he said he would. He wanted to think about it and did some, gave it some serious thought. And so we met uh, via Zoom. And then we spent uh, most of last week drafting a 25-page uh, class action lawsuit. And we filed it on Thursday. Uh, we were the first lawyers in the country to file. It got picked up everywhere, which we figured it would, of course. It was mentioned on today's show, Saturday morning. I did an interview with the Blood Horse. And uh, so I just wanted, I, I text Bruno and I said, I'd like to talk to, you know, his group. And I just want to put uh, our side out there because when you look at some of the comments, I've looked at the comments online and they've been incredibly negative. And I don't think they're really by horse players like the people on this Zoom. And I'd like to hear what your thoughts are. And I just, uh, the final thing as an introduction I would say is, 
it, it's a shame that the lawyers have to get involved. I've got other things that I would rather be working on. I just don't think it should have come to this point, but it's at this point because it's just complete irresponsible reactions by these jurisdictions, these racing jurisdictions. And I know that things may change, change, you know, in July of 2022, but it, it may not, you know, the Oklahoma attorney general has sued over the law and other attorney generals are, are apparently suing over it. So I don't, we don't know it's going to be uh, you know, we're going to have a national governing commission like we all know we need. So we'll see what happens here. You know, we're going to try and hold uh, Bob Baffert responsible. And Dan, and we're all, uh, first yeah. of all, as you, as you are well versed in the law, you will have to show some kind of precedent that this um, course of action um, has uh, been uh, found. There's reasonable evidence that, that you can win. Has there ever been a case where somebody has sued uh, over something like this and won? Yes, there has. And I looked it up. I didn't think there had been. You look at the Treader case, T-R-E-T-T-E-R, out of New Jersey. Treader is a gentleman who lives outside of Chicago in Illinois. And there was a harness uh, race. I forgot the exact year. It was a couple of years ago. It was 2016. And he had all sorts of pick threes, pick fours, I think pick fives lined up to uh, four or five horses in the race. Long shot came in and beat him. And uh, the long, and then so he lost, uh, lost about thirty-one thousand dollars worth of uh, will pays that he would have hit, and he was furious. Uh, and a couple of days later, the you know the race was overturned because of a drug violation for a trainer who had multiple violations. I don't follow uh, harness racing. I apologize. I don't remember the last name or the first, the last name of the trainer he sued. He sued the trainer. He also sued the uh, the owner which it also had some positives and uh, the case settled. It settled for $20,000. And so there's been one case in the United States filed and it resolved through a settlement. Interesting. So, now so there's a better precedent. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to be a little bit of a, of a, of a devil's advocate here, if you don't mind, Dan, um, you know, there's been a number of suits you got the New Orleans Saints fans after the loss with the Rams because of the fan for the no interference call. You've got Jet fans suing the Patriots over the Spygate. Uh, the Florida man who went to court when the San Antonio Spurs reached the star for a visit in Miami to the Miami Heat. Uh, about the Flyers uh, fan who went over the glass to attack Ty Domi when he when uh, who then sued Ty Domi. Uh, the West were, you know, the, the West versus the Kentucky uh, board and stewards for maximum security. You've got a lot of a lot of uh, suits that a lot of people called really frivolous and more that they were craving for attention. You don't look like a guy that's craving for attention. What would you tell somebody that has that maybe a cynical view of what you're trying to do? Well, the first thing I would say is the first thing I said to the blood horse, which is, you know, Churchill Downs made tens of millions of dollars, probably over $100 million on this race. The owner, assuming, let's assume that this DQ holds, let's assume the split comes back positive and the DQ holds. The owner's a mandaloon, the trainer a mandaloon, the jockey a mandaloon are going to get paid what they are owed and they are due. Same thing with who came in third, help me out, 
Uh, uh, Rod Charlie, essential Hot Rod Charlie, and those, essential, they'll all move in, up. In essential yeah. quality, everyone moves up, everyone gets paid, everyone gets taken care of except for the betters, and we all get screwed, okay? And it's ridiculous, and it's it's been going on for way too long. There is no game without us. There is no horse racing without all of us. And the difference is with Spygate and Flay, whatever you want, all that, is that we have sued Baffert under a RICO violation. I don't know how many of you know what a RICO violation is, but a RICO violation is what New York and New Jersey used to put the mob away, okay? And it's based on a pattern of deceit and a pattern of positive drug tests that go way back. And the key thing is that, and I, I said this to Bloodhorse, there is no case with one violation. If we had one or two violations, there is no, there. I wouldn't have brought the case at least, I can tell you that. But you have a pattern in practice here of positive drug tests and then these crazy explanations afterwards. And I could go through them all if you want. I think everyone on this Zoom probably knows them all by now. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm going to stand up for, you know, there's groups that are standing up for the horses. And there are groups standing up for other, you know, uh, people affected by this. I'm standing up. We're standing up for the people who keep this game going, all of us, okay? And we'll let the courts and the jury see what happens. And you're putting your uh, own money in, too, uh, uh, to do this, aren't you? Already put a decent bit of change, yes. Yes, I, yeah, we, we certainly are. Well, not only you lost the bet, but now you, <laughs> you're uh, pretty money. Can I ask Daniel something? Yeah, absolutely. Daniel, uh, my question is, is – with this class action, because I, I understand a little bit because my son's a lawyer, but Uh-oh. how do you expect for us common people, handicappers, like how can we join your, your class action lawsuit or how do you expect everybody to get some type of reward back for it? Because I did the same thing as you. But then again, I played another ticket because I, my buddy laughed at me. I played Baffert only because we all laugh at you sometimes. I know, but no, what I'm saying, Bruno, is the perfect example is the only reason why I played Baffert to hit the trifecta was because I knew the horse would be juiced and I hit it. But I agree with Daniel. I also played a big ticket with Mandaloon to win. But so my question is, is how us common folk, are we going to get money from a class action lawsuit if you win this? Okay, let's do this real quick just for my edification. If we, anyone who has a ticket that would cash, would have cashed if Medina Spirit had finished last, raise your hand. Obviously, Paul. Anyone else? Okay. Ron, Big Mike, Steve, Robert. Okay. Quite so, a few people. You probably can't see all of them. Yeah. Aren't. So, okay. So here's what I, first of all, we, we, probably signed up 30, 40 cases today and then over the weekend and uh, on Friday and everyone's calling the same question, Paul. So here's what I would say. You have to have proof. You either have to have a paper ticket, maybe a photograph of a paper ticket, or obviously if you're wagering online, then there's going to be a digital record. Okay. Right. The fact that you won uh, with another try on Medina Spirit means nothing. Okay. Right. You have a loss. So all you need to do 
is just uh, email me or text me. I'll give you my information and you become a plaintiff. And it's as yep. simple as that. Cool. And I'd love to, ha- I'd love to represent you guys. And I say, There's guys, my I- ticket right there. Okay, well, oh, there you there, go. That was easy. Man, I mean, you, were, you were telling me the truth. You weren't drinking that day. I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, because if you were, that ticket wouldn't know where it'd be found. <laughs> well, so, anyways, uh, I, just, I appreciate the time and for you answering that question. I appreciate, Bruno, you having him on. Let me, let me, uh, because you see these guys on Twitter trying to file these lawsuits. And to me, Daniel's the only one that's doing it the right way. For anyone who wants to join, there's no fee, cost, anything. The only way there'll ever be any kind of legal fee is if we win. It's just like you see on TV. It's contingency fee, 100%. Um, And that's, uh, you know, you're lining up with some good people too. I mean, Michael Baychock, I think... If you don't know him, he's an Eclipse Award-winning handicapper, won the NHC in a million dollars, and he's really, you know, he, he's someone looking out for all of us. And, Bruno, I think you'd probably agree with that, right? Yeah, I know Mike really well. Uh, Mike's a good stand-up guy. Ron, are you on now? I think so. Yeah. I can hear you. Yeah, wow. Yeah. We can hear Daniel, all- with all due respect, I think this is a slap suit. I think it's more of the case of this country being overly litigious. I think you are getting benefit out of this by merely being here. And every time your name appears in a story, I think it's sometimes, you know, it rains on your wedding day and you can't sue God. And I think this is one such case. I had a 110 to one ticket on Mandaloon. I think at some point you got to fold the tent. I don't think you stand a chance of getting anywhere with this thing. And uh, that's, I've said my piece. Okay. Well, I I appreciate your honesty. And, and uh, as I said, there's a lot of people, who don't like what we're doing. And that's, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I mean, okay. you're getting, you're getting Andy Warhol's 15 minutes here. So there you go. Well, Ron, Ron, I, let, let me, can I, Bruno, give me a second to respond to Ron. Yeah, okay. Well, I really, I really want to do it. Um, Ron, the first thing I would say is that I, I don't need my 15 minutes this way. I, I represented a, uh, a family 20 years ago, 25 years ago, whose child, strangled to death in a bunk bed. And, and uh, we were able to change the laws in the United States, in Oklahoma, United States, and even in Japan on how bunk beds are constructed. So that was kind of my 15 minutes. It was long. That was fine. This is more personal to me because I love racing. I love everything about it. And I truly believe, unless we get the drug problem under control, that we're possibly going to destroy what we love. And um, I'm willing to put my time and my money up there. I don't need my 15 minutes. And uh, I just feel that strongly about it. And you know what, Ron? Everyone else has failed. You know, the jurisdictions in Arkansas and in California, they've all failed. Now, I will say this, Ron, real quickly. I was pretty impressed with what Naira did today. And I think we're moving in the right direction. Okay. But, you know, I could give a lecture about, well, what lawyers have done, you know, we wouldn't have airbags, et cetera, but you all have heard that. You don't need to hear it. And we'll see what happens. I mean, we have to get through a motion dismissed. We have to get through a motion for summary judgment. You know what, though? I really do look forward to sitting across the table from Bob Baffert and going through every one of these drug violations that's in his record and these explanations about the groom who drank cough syrup and peed in the hay. Okay. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about it on camera. 
and I want him under oath discussing it. Okay. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I really am. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that's, you know, I, re I respect your uh, opinion. And I, all I can say is I don't file what I consider frivolous lawsuits. And I don't think this is one. Okay. And, and I'll just say this. Um, I think the world of Ron, but Ron and I disagree sometimes, but we, you know, he has his opinion. I have mine. Um, I'm to be honest, Dan, I'm in the middle of the road here. Um, because in a way, you know, I hate to say this, this is, uh, this is the way it's always been done. And I want to be able to change it, but to be able to change it, it seems like it does act, take an act of God. Maybe you should sue God if you get, you know, you know, if you get a, in a hurricane at your house, but you know, you know, it, it, it takes, takes an act of God for these people in racing to do anything. So on the other hand, I am actually all in, as I told Ron like a couple of weeks ago, when we argued about the HESA, the Horse Race Integrity Act, yeah, but he was arguing who was going to pay it. And I was looking at him and saying, well, we can't be going the way we're going or else we won't have a game. And I think sometimes there's a balance there. I am a Libra. I am. There's a balance there. And the balance, I understand what Ron says, you know, that we need to find somebody to pay for it. On the other hand, there is the, the, the way this game is spiraling out of control to where these people are controlling, as in the case of, of, of performance enhancing drugs that are continuously, uh, you know, getting away with it because of the lethargic uh, lack of sense of urgency from the actual tracks themselves. So we find ourselves in a battle. How do we pay for it? Well, we can't be going the same way. In this case here, you know, we can't be having this particular conversation every time that we have somebody believes that a horse, somebody cheated and a horse won. But on the other hand, on a bigger scale, maybe this is something that can push the industry to stop uh, uh, protecting these people, stop taking these positives and sweeping them under the rug, stop you know, protecting these super trainers just because they're super trainers and they have maybe board members on board, jockey, mem jockey club members on board as their owners. So, you know, everywhere I turn around, I see one particular owner winning all the time, all the time. I mean, the guy never loses. It seems like to me. So when I see stuff like that and, you know, and people are using their power to be able to get things done, but then we can ever, ever get this game straight. Now, I think maybe what you're doing is going to maybe wake up some people and say, hey, maybe, you know, we are going to get in a position that I'm going to be the next one and I'm going to be in trouble. You know, it, it's and Ron, I understand your point. Dan, I understand your point, but enough is fucking enough. You know, I mean, these fat cats continuously make money left and right. They, they continuously win left and right. And every owner that left Jason's service went to another cheating trainer. Or Navarro. They went to another cheating trainer. So they are protected in the sport. And maybe what we can do with Dan's help, and even Ron, Ron being more vigilant and open about how he feels, whether it's wrong or right to what we feel, but having his own opinion, you know, we can actually do something. And look, I like Bob. He's been a friend of mine a long time. I've done a lot of work with him. He's a cheapskate. That's for sure. However, you know, I've worked for him for a long time and I and, I, and I've always been a fan of his. But you know what? You cannot draw and bring in 
uh, your own personal feelings. You bring your personal feelings, you're doomed. And that's what you're doing. But on one hand, you do have your personal feelings. On the other hand, you're using the law to basically do something about it. I, I, I would be, you know, Ron, I want to address one more thing that you said, which is interesting, you know, which is that, you know, okay, well, you know, we should have known this goes on in racing and we should accept the results and go on. You know something, when Dur De, was, uh, Bruno De Luna, De Luna, the grass horse that won in the seventh. Oh, du jour. Du jour. Du jour. I'm sorry, not De Luna, sorry. Sorry, du jour. When du jour won, I kind of, which was, I thought, and won in style, I kind of was a little bit thinking, hmm, you know. That horse rebroke. That horse rebroke. There wasn't even more. There wasn't even another one that was on, I believe, on Friday or Thursday, I can't really remember. Might have been Sunday. Well, I want to say Himiko ran. Yeah. Uh, it was even. It was three to five, and that horse kept rebreaking, 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 well, rebreaking. Well, I mean, it was amazing. So, you know, so but he's not so, alone, Dan. He's not alone. No, no but here, here's my point, though. Okay, my point is this: is that it did make me think. Okay, well, maybe I had to move, you know, Medina's spirit up. I'm in my super, in my try. And because maybe something's going on here. And, and then I thought, no, it's the Kentucky Derby. There's no way, you know, there, there's no way on this stage with his history that that's going to happen. And, and I was wrong. Okay. And I think Bruno, so I, my point is just that, you know, I, yeah, I just, as a better, I just couldn't believe, I just can't believe it. I mean, that was, and I'm sure I'm not alone right now among people that handicap. Ron, do you want to respond? No, I, I, I really don't want to belabor the point. I mean, I feel if I say something, it's going to trigger 10 more minutes about this. I think it's a waste of time. And I, and I think I've probably triggered five more minutes here. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Ron. How do you feel about this whole disqualification thing with Baffert? Which part of it? All of it. Well, that's from, from a <laughs> personal or, or a professional. No, I don't even mean that. Which part of it? Do you mean Kentucky? Do you mean Maryland? Oh, do you personal. mean New York? Do you mean personal? Personal. Oh, How I, do you I, feel about? This? I have a I have a well worn line. I've I you know Baffert is has been. Uh, we have been on friendly terms for a long time, and I consider him a friend. So I'm not the right guy to give you a centered opinion on this. In my heart, I want him to be right. I I want him to you know, to, to be telling me the truth in my brain. There's only so long I can hear, honey, it's not what it looks like. I've said this before. I've been beating this up so much. It's a have very dog. You have done news and you've done cases as such in your career. Have you always had these kind of feelings or is this something about Bob Baffert? This no. is a unique circumstance because you have of that. feelings for Baffert. Is that yeah. what you're saying? I do. I have, I can't. And if I, if I tried, if I pretended that I did not, I would be doing a disservice to anyone listening to me, expecting to have an objective viewpoint. That's part of it. Also, what I've said earlier about a litigious nature, I got myself out of jury duty once saying that very same thing. Uh, and that's a complicated case that, that you know that nobody would give a rat's ass about, frankly. But I did feel that way. I felt that way for a long, long time. I just think these suits are... Oh, here I go. I think I've just wound up the toy again. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it right there. But no, at least, you know, the one thing I enjoy is, is that we can talk freely. Um, Dan, any uh, last words uh, on, um, 
on on anything Ron said or um, anything that I brought up? Well, I know that you know we can't uh, hear from many people, but I'd really like to hear what Mr. Shulman, who has hand raised, if he wants to text. I'd like to see what he has to say. Charles, uh, I'd like to make a few com few comments. Dan, I appreciate everything you said, and I actually agree with much of what you said. Um, but I have I have a few comments. Let's talk about Bob Baffert first. Number one. And uh, I apologize if I seem um, off on this, but he cheated with Justify just to get into the Kentucky Derby. And I believe it was the CHRB didn't rule on anything until after Justify won the Belmont. So he had five violations, I believe, this year. And for whatever reason, he's Teflon Bob. And they do nothing about it until probably recently. But we'll see what happens. That's my comment about Bob Baffert. In regard to the harness racing lawsuit that you were referring to, um, I'm not an attorney. I'm a CPA, but I'm a pretty knowledgeable guy. And there's a big difference between a settlement and a case that goes to trial. A settlement is done in many cases for economic reasons and not for liability reasons. And for $20,000 or $22,000, whatever they settled on, I can almost guarantee you without knowing all the facts that that was settled for economic reasons and for saving face and whatever without making a big issue, more a greater issue than it actually was. And I don't believe, and you're an attorney, but I don't believe that you can use that uh, settlement. It was not a, a, uh, an award from trial. So I don't know if the, if the precedent that you're referring to whether you can actually hold your hat on, uh, on that. Again, you're an attorney. I'm not. You know more about it than I do. But a lot of times things are settled for economic reasons and settled without going to trial. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a shame that we have cheating in this game. Um, Navarro, Jason Service, you can go right down the line. Some people get caught. Some people don't. Uh, I don't know how you eradicate cheating, we are all, I'm a, also a handicapper, and I think I'm a pretty good handicapper, and we're all victims here. Um, it's not just the Kentucky Derby. It's not just the Preakness. Um, I, I was on a pick five yesterday at Belmont, and Lucy fell off the horse right past the finish line. That was a $22,000 pick five. I had the first four. If he fell off right before the finish line, I'm a winner. I can't control him falling off of a horse. That's just the nature of the game. I wish there was an easy answer to how betters can recoup uh, their losses when things are um, unjustly done. I don't know whether we can. Um, like you said, electronically, I have a Naira account. I bet through Naira. They have a record. It's easily uh, obtainable whether I was – um, whether I would have won money or I didn't. Um, it's easy to disqualify a horse and make the horse that came in second first, give the trophy. Uh, um, Brad Cox gets his first uh, um, uh, Kentucky Derby win. Uh, it's great. It's, 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 but the betters end up always on the short, short end of this. I, I, um, I applaud your trying your class action lawsuit, trying to right a wrong I don't know how they are actually going to do that. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to say a few things because I listened and I listened and I listened. 
And it, this is great dialogue. We don't have to agree to, we can agree to disagree on many issues, but I think it's healthy to, to at least have the conversation. And I appreciate thanks. all you. Well, thanks, Charles. Uh, Bruno, I just wanna address, but Charles, first of all, you're 100% right. Lawsuits get settled every hour of every day for a thousand reasons, uh, mostly because the court and the whole system is not a, something you wanna be part of. It's not economic for either party. And I resolve cases all the time for that exact reason. And you're right. The Treader case, Bruno asked me if there had ever been another case. And there had been, and it did get settled. It did not get a motion for summary judgment, which would have maybe created law. It did not get uh, a jury verdict by any means. All those things have not been done, okay? Uh, it was a case filed. It didn't get kicked out of court, though, okay? And, uh, and they paid and got it settled, Okay. And, and you know what? I have no idea what the motivations were for them to offer the money. And I have no idea what the motivations were for the plaintiff to accept the money, which, by the way, was likely after expenses in the attorney's fee, much less than 31000 and change that he was out. So, but that's a compromise, okay? And one, one thing that people should consider that they may not have is the concept that maybe people don't get, maybe I don't get paid back or I'm not even a plaintiff, I'm a lawyer, but the people who had any of these wagers, maybe they don't get paid back what the will pay, what they would have won, but they get paid back for the actual wager that was made. In other words, if someone good made point. a, a no, $500, yeah, someone made a $500 win bet on Mandaloon, they don't get back, you know, 500, you know, at 27 to one, whatever that pays. Right. Bruno can do that in his head, but they get back $500, okay? And maybe there's a fund created somehow at some point for when there's a medical uh, disqualification that people can get their wager back. Not what they've won. There's, there's different ways for potentially, you know, if, if, but if we do nothing, then nothing's going to change. I, That's totally, how agree. I totally agree. And maybe they should set up a fund just for this very reason, Bruno? at least to get your bet back. I mean, it is a great idea, but you're asking this 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 industry to actually do something that they actually put have to put some thought into, and not come up with it. Well, that's all we we've always 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 done it this way. I, I mean, I've had so many times that I've brought up things, and it was like, for example, uh, I brought up the stewards one time that a horse was adding blinkers after being six months off, and the steward looked at me with a blank look on his face and says, "But well, that's the way we always do it. You don't need that. You don't need to report it." You know, so there's a mentality mentality like that in racing. Dan, I do have a, a question for well, you. Let me just stop you for one second, Bruno. If you let me just here, here's a classic situation. You get you get all the horses lined up in the gate. A horse doesn't get out of the gate. You've made your bet. The tote machine is locked. You've made your bet. Let's just say on the one horse. And the horse didn't get out of the gate properly. There are times where they'll say, "You'll get your bet back." You'll be refunded your bet. Not all the time, but there are times if there's a, if there's an issue, maybe the holder was held on to the horse and the horse couldn't get out of the gate when the gate opened or whatever reason. And there are times where you will get back your money. There has to be, they should establish some type of fund for certain situations where the public, the betting public has been um, unjust or that's all. And I think it's a good idea. Uh, Steve Dillman brings up a good point. What about those who cashed on Medina? Well, 
they don't want to give the money back. Nope. You know, there's, or they should there's be, not be a, to. Yeah. There's not going to be a clawback. That's that's right. never going to happen. Not going to happen. But no, but my point is, is that, you know, there's a, you know, it's just such a, it's just such an issue. You know, I think we would be a lot better off if horses were tested prior to a race and we were able to do it to where, you know, we would be able to get some kind of test result you know, from two days before back right away. And if they test a positive, boom, they're gone. Um, you know, they're not going to run. It's, it's, I, I just think in this game, it's more about just all the procedural stuff that we've all talked about. It's about actually people in this industry having integrity, having integrity and stopping this um, cronyism that's in this game. So a lot of people, you know, I like that guy. I don't like that guy. That guy, I'm going to go after. That guy, he's okay. I don't care what he does. That's the bullshit you get in this game, period. All the way down the list. All the way down from the top down. So um, there's those that say that Baffert's being, um, there's a witch hunt for Baffert. Well, you know, that could be true. You know, there's people that get blackballed out of this game all the time. You know, because of the way they act or what they say or what, what they do. Look at Rick Dutra. You think Rick Dutra was given really his due process? No. He got 10 years. And then when his 10 years is going to be up, they made him pay more money and then told to kick the can down the road, like Ron says. So to me, um, this game can be very deadly and it can be very uh egotistically driven uh and if you're am i right i mean charles you've been in this game a long too it's it's run by ego and it's yep. a gotcha game but, uh, but, but there are but there are people in the game today that are 100 clean oh yeah they are they are 100 clean right yeah and i and i think everybody should be that way unfortunately they're not and you got to hope that they catch the people that aren't Right, right. Well, that's, uh, that's where the lawsuit is is misdirected, in my opinion, because the uh, it's just a symptom that you're attacking, and the integrity is what needs to be held up. And if, from what I'm hearing, it uh, and I don't have any skin in the game. I don't own any horse. I've a, I've been a horse player for over, since uh, for over 35 years. Love this game and everything about it. But it, it needs to be cleaned up. And that means that there can't be another dirty trainer to go to. And that's where the effort has to be to get these people that are playing, uh, are doing this. The old timers that have been in forever, that is what, it, that's where the effort to clean up things needs to be, in my opinion. Although I, 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 you have a case. But it's just a symptom of the problem, and you need to attack the problem. And, and Kevin, you know, there's a saying in this sport. You might as well to tell, tell the truth, because if, even if you tell the truth, nobody's going to believe you. Everybody believes you're lying. Right. And that's one problem in this game. A lot of people believe that everybody lies. And, 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 and I'll tell you, they're proven right a lot of times. So, 
Um, cold water. I mean, that's cold water. Some trainers cold water. You. That's is that a lie? It's just called cold well, water. about jockeys? Well, there's a couple of jockeys, and they open their mouth. I don't even listen to them anymore. Oh yeah, yeah. You know that horse saw the scoreboard, and that's why he was legging out. Oh, come on, he saw the scoreboard from the far turn. Stop it. I I will not listen to that guy anymore. Not not one word that comes out of his mouth. Not one. And that's Mike Smith. Not one. Because there they a lot of these guys have to be able to say what what the trainer wants to hear. And the jockey has to say what the trainer wants to hear. I like the jockey come on after a win of after winning a race and going, man. He was lugging in really bad or he can't breathe or, you know, no, you don't hear that. I'll tell you a guy that did it one time was Kent DeSormo. He wrote Sea of Secrets in a stakes race at Santa Anita. And after the race, he said on, on the interview, he goes, I don't think this horse can breathe. He stopped on me and I just had to carry him to the wire. Well, he got in a lot of trouble with the trainer for saying that. But that was an awesome statement to make because I understood then what Sea of Secrets problem was. I'll give you another one. There was a horse named Cuddles that broke her maiden first time out at Santa Anita. Went on the vets list as on sound. Three weeks later, showed up in a stakes race for Dwayne Lucas at Santa Anita. Horse gets beat at, at three to five up the track. I approached Gary Stevens. I was doing a show with John Hernandez, and I asked him the question. I said, did the horse being on the vets list is on sound three weeks ago have anything to do with the performance today? That is a literal reporter like question no doubt about it in my mind that that wasn't a question that that was out of bounds that was a fair question i got mother all the way back to the jocks room screamed at called every name in the book and threatened to get kicked out so when i hear stuff like that and i know what i've experienced you know i can't even believe what Jocks comes out of what comes out of Jocks's mouth, and yet half of them end up being on television, telling you things. You think those guys will tell you a thing? Dan, Charles, Kevin, Ron, you think those guys are really going to tell you anything that is remotely in, important? You know, in an interview. Well, I understand that, Bruno, and I and I don't let it I don't let it bother me. I accept them for how they are. I accept that I, I'm aware of the facts that all of the and I'm as a player now. And what I've learned from you and what I'd like to do is I'd like to get out at the track more with a time with a with a watch and and, and watch the horses. Because in the past, the, the horses that I really, the best bets that I ever felt more secure in is when I was very active and at the track. And I knew, I believed at the time, because I saw the time, I knew who that horse was. Now, don't That's why I did it. Don't, don't. And all the rest of it, all the rest of it is noise, Bruno. Ryan, <laughs> you mentioned some things. Um, you had some um, conversations and we were talking about you today about, um, some of the things that we talk about on, on the Zooms here that you actually got to experience. Uh, you want to talk about that? You ought to refresh my memory. That seems like 100 years ago. But what were we talking about? Mike McCarthy. Oh, oh, oh like, yes. Like All right. This. Got it. Like this got it. Right All right. I'm, pulling, I'm pulling it right out of you. Yeah. <laughs> Yesterday, outside the Stakes Barn at Pimlico, Mike McCarthy had Ron Bauer out there and he had him by the halter and Ron Bauer's playing with the chain on his halter. And I'm thinking like, oh, that horse is pretty perky. And 
nice conversation going on with uh, him and a few other writers who were there. And then it came up where he was talking about the fact that he couldn't see everything in front of him that he normally would look at in a horse race, including the fractions, because at Pimlico, they're not well positioned in terms of where you can see them. They're on the main tote board, but the main tote board looks like it was built in 1950. Well, probably was built in 1950 something. It's hard to see. So when you're looking for the fractions, maybe they're there and maybe they're not. He's watching between the live race and the jumbotron, but the jumbotron was so far from him, he couldn't see the fractions. And so he got done talking about the race. And I said, are you one who watches the fractions? Thinking about you, Bruno, I was thinking about, should you be looking at the times during the race when you should be watching the race? And he said, yes, I am. I am one to be looking at the fractions. And I thought at that point, you know, if you weren't looking at the fractions, you might've thought these horses up front were cooking pretty well, especially with Medina spirit and midnight bourbon going at one another. And even France go to Ina engaging in the pace battle for a little bit on the backside. And so you thought maybe they're cooking right along. Then you go look after the race and you see those fractions were honest, but they weren't blazing. And I think if there was a lesson there, Bruno, as I was watching the race, and maybe as Mike watches the race in hindsight, numbers aren't so meaningful because it looked like Medina Spirit was on a loose lead in the Kentucky Derby, wasn't pressured by other horses as he was in the Preakness. Forget the times. He was also lugging out pressure. down the back stride. Down the back stretch, he was also lugging out. He was well, well off the inside. He was three to four off the inside. So, you know, and, and usually why do horses lug out? These horses lug out because they're getting off of something on the inside. And he's always been a weak horse behind. I said it before the Derby and I said it after. And I think that coming back in two weeks and the pressure on that hind end, shocker, basically made him back up down the stretch. Horses finish when they can push off from behind, folks. When they cannot push off from behind, like Capo Kane, we went over with a lot of you, why Capo Kane was, was something was wrong with him in his left stifle area. And sure enough, you know, he, the way he was lugging out, if you watch it, Medina Spirit kind of did the same thing going into the, going into the far turn. Kind of lugged out enough, well, and kind of carried Midnight Bourbon out. Um, no, luckily, nobody came up inside of him and stole the race. I think Rembauer came up behind him on the turn and angled out. But, you know, right. to me, it was a, it was, I, the Medina spirit ran the way I thought he would run in the Derby. And he didn't have That's pressure in the Derby, which was part of the, well, he had spam chasing him. Daniel's like, thanks a lot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, spam was chasing him, you know, you know, soup and sandwich guys. Come on, get with the program, you know. Yeah. Super sandwich. Uh, do I smell eggs? Done the three eighths. If, if Sam is not on the outside of, of Mandina Spirit on into the three eight into the into the half mile pole or three eighths, Mandaloon gets outside of Medina Spirit and puts the pressure on him. You know, again, but Medina Spirit that day was able to kick on and keep finding more because he kept pushing off well. He couldn't push off well in the Preakness. I wonder why. I just wonder why. <laughs> But it also, but the, to go back to your original point, it was a case where McCarthy was wondering, gee, is my horse a little too close given where the horses were on the uh, course on the backstretch? Is he a little too close to what he wanted him farther back? But the fact that he couldn't see the clock, maybe he was craving that crutch to color his opinion. Maybe he wasn't. That's part of why I asked him the question 
That's a conversation I'd like to have with him. And he's the type of guy, by the way, who will have that conversation. I mean, he'll, he can be expansive, particularly in telephone conversations where, uh, you know, will. I don't know if you know this, Ron, but in the 1990s, it was me on, on the first floor at Santa Anita in the boxes. It was me in one box. It was Toby Terrell in the next box. Right. And in the next box, it was Janine Sahadi, Gary Young, and Michael McCarthy clocking in the, in, in the boxes. So it's funny how that particular row, you know, that particular box with Gary Young and Michael McCarthy, and, you know, yeah, that's right. Yeah. One, two triple count races. So it's just kind of interesting. The fact that you look at this horse's last two wins, he closed from deep on a very soft pace on the synthetic at Golden Gate. And then he closes from mid pack against an honest pace at the Preakness. So well, what, about, what about, you know, I had a, when, when I was handicapping the race, I was having an issue between Ron Bauer and, and crowded trade, crowded trade. The only reason that I went to crowded trade and I flip-flopped them is because Ron Bauer had never won on the dirt. He had won on the synthetic and he had won on the turf. He had his best race when he ran third to essential quality and um, highly motivated in a slow, fast race shape at, 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 uh, in the bluegrass. That was a strong effort, but he's I, five lanes behind. Bruno, I would beg to differ. I think his strongest effort was the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Short stretch, and he made up a lot of ground in that, and that was influential to me. But Bruno, wasn't Ron Bauer, uh, that's the first horse since like the 1800s that won a triple crown race on the dirt for his first win? I don't know. Probably, but oh, that's, you know, that's yeah. right. Yeah. That's a good one to research. Yeah. I mean, I think it was why, good one, Paul, but that's, that's why right. I went with crowded trade instead I'm of here all night, <laughs> you know, before yeah. handicapping the Preakness. I'm really glad, Paul. I didn't know that fact because I bet I'm yeah. wrong about I, mean, I know a little bit of facts, but Bruno doesn't let me talk much. So no, that's the reason why <laughs> Quite auto mutes everyone. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> Love you, Bruno. Okay. I'll shut up. Ron, go ahead. Tell me the story that, that you have. Yeah, no, this was actually mentioned in the news conference afterward. Uh, Ron Bauer's first race made in special way one mile on the turf at Del Mar. Only got a 48 buyer in return. One of the things that the Fradkins were hoping to do was sell the horse. That was really their intent all along at the very beginning. You come back and win a race, but with a 48 buyer, not too many people are going to come knocking on your door to buy the horse. In the intervening two weeks, it was learned that G-Max wasn't all that was cracked up to be, especially on turf races at Del Mar, where they reverted to hand-timing the races because the system was so bad and so inaccurate. They went back and hand-timed that race and found out that yeah, it, the time shown was not even close to what the horse ran. Wait a minute. Hey, Ron, hold on. Shocker. Yeah, I know. No. And as they were telling the story, I thought, didn't we discuss this here last summer? And so the horse ran much better, but by that point, as it were, he was already out of the barn, and so was the sale opportunity. And while Michael McCarthy said, well, he wouldn't have gotten far from me, he would have gone from the Cradkins, and who knows what would have happened next. He moves to the dirt, he moves to the artificial, he moves into the Preakness, and he wins the Preakness. But if not for bad timing, quite literally, that horse might not have been a Preakness winner. You know what it just shows, Ron? That anybody that views private purchases 
off speed figures is a effing moron because they do not understand one thing about horse racing and horses themselves. If they have to look at a figure to, instead of looking what a horse is doing on the track to actually say, Oh, I'm going to buy them. I've had that. I've had those arguments with Andy Byer over and over again. And the people that buy horses specifically off of figures need to get their head examined. And then they tell you they're geniuses. And in a world of Fords, you are the Ferrari. Ron, I need a drink. <laughs> I still got about a half a bottle of this uh, Ron Bauer's Infidel here. You were quite animated in your little Hollywood Square. Yeah, no, I was. By the way, the Ron Bauer uh, Zinfandel I have here, vintage 2018, just like the horse himself. Uh, yes. Nice. Um, one, you heard me say that I'm not about a litigious society. Uh, I've been one to want to sue people, and then I just sort of look and put my soon sue art of war hat on and go, eh, if I can't win this thing, what am I doing? And I, 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 I object, counselor. All right, go for I it. I object All because right. I, I really think you're, um, you're using arguments that are argumentative. You're argumentative here rather than uh, let's talk about the facts and, and what are the course of action. So stop being argumentative. Right, I'm going to be judging a judge. I'm going to be judge and, and prosecutor. Well, here's what You're a judge will look at. Here's what a judge will look at. The terms of engagement for any bet on a horse race are that when the results are declared official, that's that. It's been the case for over 100 years, and that precedent is going to rule the day. And I might add, there are more than a few people that might have bet this race thinking, you know, Baffert might have a little extra juice in this horse, and that's why I'll bet on him at 12 to 1. You don't think there were beneficiaries of all this? In this case, I'm going to allow the prosecution to make their case. Well, a prosecute, there's no crime here. Now, a plaintiff's attorney, that's a different matter. Well, is there not a crime? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I haven't heard anyone in... Louisville, here in Louisville, saying that they're going to be bringing any criminal cases. Well, and you what, know that well, will not happen. What, what if there is? There won't be. A, I'll make a bet with a, you right now, and I'll give you 100 to 1 odds that there will not be a criminal case filed in this. No, we're not talking about criminal case. We're talking about if a horse test a positive, that is a positive test. And that is, therefore, there is a case there. That's a case, not necessarily criminal. criminal, civil. And well, that's well, what's being A counselor, nobody mentioned criminal okay the word criminal was not mentioned you said prosecutor prosecutor connotes criminal if you are a plaintiff's attorney that is civil okay the plaintiff attorney has every right to pursue their line of, of questioning yes they do and they have every right to be slammed like i did today so there you go i was in well, a mood to slam you did bring up one other point in terms of my point of view am i too close to baffert I think you're thinking like a lot of people do nowadays, and that is emotionally instead of with common sense. So am I too close to Baffert? I, I, do you think I'm too close to Baffert yes, to see this one straight? Yes. And, I try, and that's yes. why I openly say that, and I let people judge that yes. as they may. Yes. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm as close to Bob as you are. No, you're probably um, more so. Maybe not yeah, recently, I, but certainly uh, you have been. Well, he is who he is. He is who he is. And there's a whole, I mean, we could have a long conversation about that, but I wouldn't do it publicly. No, I, exactly. You know? And I think there's a lot of us, and I'm not alone. It's not like, I'm not Bob's best friend. I, I might not even rate in the top 100. But 
There's a lot of people in the media with whom he has been friendly and with whom he has been glib and open. And right up until probably Thursday of last week, I was in communication with him rather often. And he finally told me enough. And he finally told me, look, I'm not doing any interviews or anything. And he issued that statement only to NBC. Probably, no. Definitely, because that was the big forum. He could do it at once and be done with it. And I've been in touch with his attorney, Craig Robertson, a couple times. And that's pretty much been that. And I've respected the distance since. I'll probably ask a question here or there between now and whenever I feel I need to say something more, maybe for my podcast late this week. But I have every expectation of him saying, you know, I, I'm not talking. You know, give me give me a rest. And I think go. he did all this talking between Saturday and Monday. But he, but he did. I mean, I'm sorry, Sunday and Monday. Yeah, no, he did a lot of, he did a lot of off the record interviews. He did a lot of bullshit, well, bullshit interviews. He, and he did a, a lot, lot of, of off the record stuff. And then he's kind of stopped doing that. Uh, well, okay, yeah, well, great. Yeah, okay, you know, he goes on a spree. And then all of a sudden he realizes, oh, somebody, Chris Oldman, going, Bob, you need to stop. Yeah, probably Craig was probably telling him, Bob, you, yeah, you're like, probably in, uh, be on the down low here. Yeah. I so. mean, so come on. You know, I mean, and, and, and let's bring the civility back into the into this thing. Everybody, and there's people knocking Churchill, and Churchill didn't do a damn thing. Oh, the respond when Baffert went and had his, his press conference at 930 on Sunday. Except they didn't wait Back. for due process to play out, but we know how that's going to go, and Churchill would still but, do the but same wait a thing. Minute, that's but fine. wait a minute! Wait a minute! They didn't leak it out. But that doesn't mean the second drug test is going to come back the same way. But yes, it does because it will come back the same way. We know that. You know, it's going to come back, and whatever it is. But you know, and I told you this the other day. Coming from from an, a position of having put cases in front of prosecutors or attorneys and things like that. You knew what you had and you approached it in a way that was consistent with what evidence you had on a case. When you go in a case and you've got somebody dead to right, you're not, I wouldn't say cocky, but you're borderline arrogant of what you Yeah, have. you're a little bit Leon you know Lett. what you got him on. But here's what I want to know. Why hasn't the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission, and if you don't think that there is a lockstep with Churchill Downs, then fine, let me sell you some land I don't own. But why hasn't the second split sample even been submitted for testing yet? I don't know what the rules are. I don't know why that is. However, I'm going to guarantee you that that first test sample, it's been scrutinized and double checked. Oh, I look. It's then the second one's going to come back the same way. It is. So you it know, is. And and but why and, doesn't it come back? I why is why can why can Maryland do it in eight days, and Kentucky can't do it in three weeks? You tell me. Mm, I'm not sure anybody will be able to offer that answer because I think. Or it's, do you want to? Oh, you or. or do you not want to find oh, out? Oh, no, I really do want to find out. I'd love to know what's taking so damn long because I, I kept well, thinking. Well, then go ask. Instead of sitting here and telling me and, and grilling <laughs> me, go freaking ask. Oh, believe me, the questions have been asked. We're still waiting for the answers. Then don't give up. Just keep going and say, hey, I want to know. Uh, yeah. 
I, I just think you don't want to know. No, I do want to know. Want, I, no, I, no, I want I this to be you, Ron, done with. Ron, I want it to be done with. You're one of with. my best friends. I think you're one of my best friends. But I think in this case, I think you're putting your head in the sand like a lot of people. No, are. no, no. I want to know. I want it done with. I want it to be done with so we can be You do realize it. that a lot of people in this game, whether they're in the, in the industry or they're on the outside looking in, they want to bury their head in the sand into a lot of stuff. Yes, I do. But I also know that if we get this thing done sooner, it makes my life a lot easier. Uh, does it? Yo, yes. We get some adjudication on this. We get the other sample back. Then, Because the moment that second sample comes back, it's another day of headlines and another day of chasing reaction. And Ron, if that happens, by the time that happens, you're going to need a shitload of cases of Rombau. Yeah. By the time that happens, I'm going to need a load of cases of Metamucil. Yeah, well, you know, the movie Blazing Saddles, when they're uh, running, where they're chasing uh, through the desert, and Slim Pickens and the, and the posse comes up. Shit load of dimes. Yeah, a shitload of dimes. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, there's a, you know, Blazing Saddles. That just, that was a phenomenal movie. Somebody go Harry back and Karen. get us a shitload of dimes. Yeah, slim picking, <laughs> you know? So, you know, you might as well get a couple of cases because you're going to be waiting a while. Get more from Bruno by going to racingwithbruno.com. This has been the Racing with Bruno podcast.